This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thank you again for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, questions about church, whatever's on your heart. You need only to provide the phone call. 210-340-9585 is our main number. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. As always, I want to remind you, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app, just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, it's Tuesday, so we don't have anything to do but get to questions while we wait your phone calls. Here is our first question today. It comes in anonymously from our email inbox. Uh, Pastor Ron, what are your thoughts about parents making their children late to church regularly? The last four weeks, I've been teaching as a Sunday school teacher. Ten-year-old little girl has been late. I spoke to the parent on Sunday about always being 45 to 60 minutes late every Sunday, and we would love to have her on time to do worship and prayer before the Bible lesson. Her mom said that it's not like she misses much. As a Sunday school teacher, how am I supposed to address this issue? Anonymous, uh, you have no idea how your question has impacted me. Um, It just breaks my heart that parents would pass these kinds of um, poor life lessons on to their children and at the same time demonstrate through their behavior how little value church has. You know, when he's reading your question, I'm thinking about the poor child and the poor Sunday school teacher, but, um, you know, it means that that the parent is also um, 60 minutes late to church. And it's just an amazing thing, an amazing show of disrespect. Um, I think personally, Anonymous, you've done what you should do. Uh, you you talk to her. That's what the Bible tells us to do in a situation like this. I think that took courage, and I think it was the right thing to do. The one thing I might add you do is make sure you've got some cover on this, and now you take it to the pastor. Uh, what I would want at Calvary Chapel, and I know this isn't from Calvary Chapel because we don't have Sunday school. Um, what I would want is for the Sunday school teacher to come to me 
and say, I've addressed this face-to-face with the parent. Here's the response I got. So I want you to know and then pass it on to him. That provides two things. One, it provides cover for you. And then it gives the pastor the opportunity to address this further. And at our church, and this is all I can tell you, Anonymous, at our church, uh, we would we would address that. We would address that. Now, there are some people that are chronically late. Um, but in this particular case, um, the stakes are pretty high. And she's demonstrating to her child, uh, or they're demonstrating to their child, that uh, church just really isn't that important. It's not like she misses much. Um, and then as a Sunday school teacher, uh, I think having addressed it, you need just to pray for them and pray for the child in your class. It is really a difficult thing. I mean, it is really a difficult thing to see how little parents really care about their commitment to the Lord, their commitment to their children, the example they set. Uh, it's an amazing thing. So I'm so sorry having to deal with this. Uh, please don't get flustered. Uh, just pray for them and let the Lord deal with them. Thank you very much for the question. I appreciate it. Let's go to Jerry on line one. Jerry, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Um, I thought you might have mentioned it today in your opening, but since you didn't, that's kind of what prompted me to call. Are you aware that Dr. Charles Stanley passed away today? Yeah, I I did get that information, Jerry, about uh, noon today. Yeah, because I know you had mentioned previously he was one of your favorites as he is for me as well. Um, And, you know, just to compliment you again, and then I have one other thing. I know you don't like to take compliments because you're so such a humble guy, but all that fiasco with the Easter service in Oklahoma with that fake pastor Todd and the Easter service, I'm, I'm sure you probably got wind of that, but, you know, you've been talking a lot about false teachers I'm sorry about my voice. That's all right. About false teachers. And so when you see somebody that's so blatantly demonic and false, it just makes people like yourself stand out like a shining star that you are. So I'm sure I speak on behalf of many, but you're an awesome teacher and we love you for it. Thank you. And then the the last thing is, if you've heard about as well, and you, you may have, I know Eric Metaxas, whose show is on before yours, has advocated for it in a lot of clips are advocating that Christians see the movie because of the undertones of nefarious. Are you familiar? And I'll let you go and I'll listen to your answers. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Yeah, and thank you, Jerry. I'm not familiar. I don't listen to Eric Metaxas. I know he's on the station right before I come on. Probably ought not to say it, but but he's like so theologically messed up. I mean, I think he's a believer. God bless him. But... um, um, you know, he sends so many mixed signals and uh, the, the the doctrinal issues and positions that he takes uh, have been staggering to, to see the inconsistency over the years. But beyond that, no, I'm not familiar with Nefarious or a movie and and um, um, I, I don't I don't know what it's about, but I don't think we have to watch stuff that's bad just to know that something is bad. I think we all know the way the world is going and uh, our job is to be a light for Jesus in the middle of the darkness all around us. So, Jerry, that's as much as I can say in nefarious. I'll, I'll look it up um, tomorrow and, and see if there's anything that needs to be addressed. But other than that, I do want to talk for a minute about Charles Stanley. Uh, one of the things that, 
that um, unless you're growing old like I'm growing old, um, it's hard to understand the energy that it takes to do what we do. Now, I, I, again, I'm not equating what I do with somebody who works really hard and does physical work uh, for uh, for a living. Um, but um, to teach the Bible, um, uh, Charles Stanley had multiple services. Uh, I have three services every Sunday, and it's really difficult. And Charles Stanley was so faithful. Uh, Paula and I literally every Sunday, I mean, um, you know, we like to get fed too. You know, Paula comes and listens to me, but we like to get fed too. So we've been watching Charles Stanley um, every Sunday morning um, for many, 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 many years. In fact, when I got saved, uh, Paula was watching him on on Christian television back then. And I mean, this is 32 years ago, and he looked old back then. Our joke, Paul and I, is he was born old. I mean, uh, but but he has been so faithful. Um, doctrinally, uh, I think he's rock solid. There are a couple of things that we would differ on. He is a cessationist and or was a cessationist. Now he knows that the gifts of the Spirit are for, for today. Um, but but the heart, and, and one of the things, and... Um, I don't mean to sound like I have any special insight here, but but I think pastors can really, we're aware of what the tricks are that people have. We're aware of how they will, will move an audience, those kind of things. Um, but, but, but believe me, the one thing I know is I can look at somebody and, and see their heart. Uh, no formula. There's no particular thing that they do all the time. And Charles Stanley's heart, oh my goodness, before the Lord was just wonderful. And actually, Jerry, I liked Charles Stanley more as he got older than when he was younger. He was he spoke so fast when he was younger. Uh, but as he got old, it, it, I can say it was a privilege to watch him age uh, and be faithful and to remain faithful. And his message stayed on point in the sense that it didn't change over the years. He wasn't a, 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 a preacher that, that was sort of influenced by the, the, the trends going on in the culture. I loved him because he did the same thing every Sunday, and he's done it for all the Sundays that I've been saved. And I just think uh, um, uh, he, he, he was a wonderful Bible teacher. Didn't do it the way I do it, but what he did, he did better than I do it. And I was literally blessed. I called Paula when I heard the news today and said, Paula, bad news, and told her. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're happy for him. He's with the Lord. But it's really sad when, when people drop off uh, the scene uh, and we'll never again see Charles Stanley preaching. Ninety years old and faithful to the end a couple of years ago is when he stepped out of the pulpit. Uh, and it was time. I mean, at, at 88, it was time. And he still had stuff he wanted to do with In Touch Ministries. And you watch, this is going to be a ministry like J. Vernon McGee's that God honors long after Charles Stanley's death. And uh, I think his teaching and his teaching style are timeless. Um, it's Baptist. We're different. But oh, what a man of God he was. And um, we're going to miss him. We're going to miss him a lot. Jerry, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about Charles Stanley. Let's go to Matthew from Cibolo on line one. Matthew, thank you for calling. You're on the air. 
Hey, Papa Ron. This is the Air Matthew from Sublo. <laughs> Hi, my Matthew. <laughs> you know, I... I, you know, Michelle and I, we, we sometimes we're having a little pillow talk and we just laugh out of nowhere because you and Mama Paula are so funny, you know. Um, <laughs> she's I, funny. I Matthew, I, I got to correct you. She's funny. I'm not funny. She's funny. No, like, <laughs> you you did well last week. But the week before, whenever she had mentioned about the, you know, the candlestick maker, I, I told her I was on the floor laughing when you made that comment. <laughs> And I said that that made my whole week. I was so funny, and I and then last last week or ten days ago, the Friday before you, you had uh, said something about the legalistic, and you had us like laughing the whole way home after church. Um, and I so the the joke is it's like when um, when Micah our two year old, he, I get after him. Or, or I provide discipline for him. He always runs to mom and says, "Mommy, daddy's mean," and. Uh, <laughs> And so whenever I we got in the car or we got in the, you know um, in our vehicle, I told Michelle what you had said about the legalistic comment about the T-shirt, and I said, I said, "Mommy, Daddy mean, Daddy Papa Papa Rami," and uh, <laughs> and but anyway, so it was so funny. But the, the anyway, so the reason I called is because yesterday you had made a comment on the radio about uh, you know God doesn't. I, mean, I don't know if I misheard you, but you said God doesn't. Um, basically, um, what it's going to worry about your happiness. He worries, mm-hmm. about, he cares more about your obedience. And I used to say that four or five years ago. Um, and you've heard the term, you heard me use the term before our intense fellowship, you know, and, and after Michelle and I would have an intense fellowship, this was many years ago, but I would tell her, you know, after we calmed down, we repented, we humbled, we prayed. And I would tell her, like, you know, hey, God does not care about our happiness. He cares more about our obedience. And anyway, so I just really, I just, I hadn't heard that in a while. So I just really want you to expound on that. And what does that look like in a practical sense in today's age and, you know, the crazy digital era and all those things? What, is it, what does it mean for uh, practically on obedience rather than happiness? Yeah, I can right, do that. Hip-hop. Thank yep. you, Matthew. God bless. Love you. Okay. Um, a couple of things before before I talk about the the obedience versus happiness. Let me say, and and Matthew just gave me a chance, and I'm not talk, picking on you, Matthew, but but every time somebody talks to me about uh, a husband and wife having intense fellowship, as Matthew put it, or they argue together, I always want to give people an opportunity to, to recognize that every argument. Intense fellowship is flesh. We're supposed to put to death the flesh. We're to crucify it every day. And and hopefully the Holy Spirit will catch us before we sin in our flesh or because of our flesh. Um, the Holy Spirit is there as a governor to keep us from being in the flesh. And the reality is, and, and people don't like to, to hear this, but the reality is every argument is caused by flesh. And it's just never okay to be in the flesh. It's never okay. Now, we're humans and we are weak and we're going to do that. But but to accept that it's okay. Well, you know, when people are married, we're different and you're going you're gonna to have disagreements and arguments. Um, but but we're, we're not to sin in those times when we have disagreements. We're to open our Bibles 
and we're to we're to to see what God says about this disagreement that we're having, and then we're to accept His position on it. I think that's so important. And too often we Christians excuse our flesh by saying, well, you know, we're just humans and that's what's going to happen. So um, um, please understand, I, I just don't think there's any way ever that I could explain to Jesus that I raised my voice at Paula who prayed for me for 13 years and whom God calls precious. How would I ever explain that to him? Uh, can, can you imagine Jesus looking at me and saying, really, you're going to use that as an excuse? But Lord, she made me angry. And he, he's going to say, well, well, that's why I gave the spirit to control your anger so that in your anger, you don't sin. And when we argue, husbands and wives, when we argue, now we can disagree. But then we go to the Bible, who is the arbiter of those disagreements. It's not he's right or she's right. It's Jesus is right. And we've agreed already to agree with God. And that precludes the necessity for having an argument. Now, I want I want everybody to understand. Um, Paul and I don't argue. Uh, but I'm certain I drive her crazy. I'm certain that she looks at me sometimes and says, what are you thinking? Or why did you do that? Or why did you say that? But see, that's an opportunity to then let the Holy Spirit sort of put the brakes on your flesh taking control. And we have no excuses ever for giving into the flesh. So let me talk about happiness versus obedience. One of the things God knows, I mean, he knows everything, but, um, you know, happiness is caused by circumstances or something good happening, something that we wanted to happen, and we're happy and we smile and it's praise the Lord, hallelujah, amen. But happiness fades away very quickly. The next time something bad happens or something unexpected happens, the next time that we don't get our way or our prayers aren't answered or somebody disappoints us, we can go from happiness to being miserable in an instant. And, and and you see, happiness is not something that we can depend on. The joy of the Lord is what we can depend on. And the way to walk in the Spirit, the way to walk in the joy of the Lord is to be obedient. And I've had people tell me oh, for the, over the years so many times, well, God wants me to be happy. And then they use that to justify sin. Matthew and the rest of you in the audience, I've had Christians sit in my office and tell me God told them it was okay to divorce their husband or their wife without biblical grounds. Oh, no, it's okay because God God told me he wants me to be happy. God told me I've suffered enough. That's to completely misunderstand what God is trying to say. It's an intentional, a willful misunderstanding in order to indulge our flesh. So what God wants is for us to be obedient. When we are obedient, Acts 5.32 said, God gives the Spirit in power to those who obey. And then we're in the presence of the Lord. Uh, we're told that, that in his presence is the fullness of joy. Nehemiah adds, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So when we are obedient, the Lord knows that we're going to be blessed. Blessed, the word in Greek, means happy. And so happiness results from our obedience, and it is a happiness that is founded in joy, and it, it doesn't just fade away. So a lot of times, Matthew, a lot of times, being obedient 
doesn't immediately make us happy. Being obedient is most often just the opposite of what our flesh wants, the thing that we think would make us happy. And, and Jesus says, no, I don't care about your happiness in this case. What I want is obedient because when you are obedient, then you will walk in the Spirit and then your life will be abundant. That's, I think, the best translation um, Jesus said, you know, you'll have an abundant life. I've come to give you life and that more abundant. And that's a life that's happy. It's a life that's filled with joy. It's a life that's characterized in strength by the power of God. So uh, I think we really need to focus on what God knows will be better for us in the long run. And that's obedient. You know, we can go all the way back, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And, or just outside the Garden of Eden with Cain and Abel. And, and God said to Cain, Cain, why are you so downcast? If you do what is right, will it not go well with you? And going well with us is the key to being happy in our day-to-day lives. And again, more importantly, it's the key to having joy that perseveres. Joy that, that lasts even through unhappy things that happen in our lives. So the idea, God wants me to be happy, so I need to buy this car. God wants me to be happy, so, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing that I know God doesn't want me to do. Uh, or, um, well, God wants me to be happy, so I need to win this argument. None of that is doctrinally correct. Biblically, it is just the opposite of that. God says to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is the key to walking in the fullness of what the Spirit has for us. And uh, Matthew, it's just something that we've got to refocus on. Typically, what makes our flesh happy is not good for us. And when we pursue being happy, now we're Americans, we've been guaranteed in our Constitution the pursuit of happiness. And so we hold on to that for dear life. Jesus is saying, how about you let go of all of that stuff? You have no rights. How about you let go of all of that stuff, and then what you do is hold on to me and watch and see how rich and fulfilling and satisfying your life will be. And believe me, satisfying is better than happy. Rich is better than happy because it lasts forever. I've been saved for 32 years, and I've been happy all 32 years. Now, that doesn't mean we haven't had really hard things, impossible things heartbreaking things, but the joy of the Lord has never left. So, Matthew, I hope that helps. So make that makes sense to you. Thank you very, very much for the call. Uh, Abraham says, Pastor Ron, with the government lying to us and lawlessness running amok, are we really in the end times? Abraham, uh, I say this all the time. I mean, if you can't look around and see what's happening in this world and see how hard people's hearts are getting, compare what's happening in our world to Second Timothy chapter 3, the, the marks of the very last days of the last times. Um, of course we're in the end times. We just don't want to believe it. We want to believe that things are going to get better. I don't know if you've seen it, Abraham, but yesterday on the news, there were um, um, news stories about two gangs. And when I say gangs, just it looked like hundreds of young people, uh, one in Chicago and the other one, I think, in Los Angeles. I might be wrong about that, but Chicago, I'm sure about. And, and, and just these, these large groups of 
people uh, breaking into stores, threatening people, stealing, looting, destroying things, and nobody was doing anything about it. Those young people are not afraid. There is no um, force of law anymore. And uh, that's a sign of the very end times. And, and Abraham, what we've got to understand is that none of this should catch us off guard. But what we need to do is be very active in sharing our faith because in the last days, these people, apart from Jesus Christ, are going to end up spending eternity in hell. So yeah, the government's lying to us. The world is lying to us. Here's the real accountability, though, Abraham. We believe it. We're listening to it. And I believe that God has allowed a spirit of lying, a lying spirit. And and uh, again, that's another typical sign that we are really in the last days. So Abraham, thank you for the question. Hey, we are just now out of time for the first half of our program. Um, if you have any questions to call, so we'd love your participation. 340-9585, that's area code 210 or 877-630-5757-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and I'll be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our tuesday show 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR henry says my wife and I disagree about corporal punishment for our kids. What do you say? Well, Henry, it's not so important what I say. I'm going to talk about disciplining kids, but um, what's much more important is what the Bible says. Remember, the Bible is timeless. Um, when the writers of the Bible were giving us Holy Spirit-inspired parenting direction or guidance, um, um, God wasn't worried about what was going to happen uh, you know, thousands of years later. Uh, and so, so we can, we can understand that, uh, what he says is what we should do. Uh, whenever I talk about disciplining kids, I always have to start off with some qualifiers because I do not want to be misunderstood. Uh, we should never, ever, um, discipline our children in anger. Never discipline our kids in anger. Never raise our voices. We should be calm. Our, our discipline should be consistent. It should be loving. And it should be measured appropriately. So um, discipline is not about anger. Um, we should never, ever strike a child. Excuse me, I'm having a little bit of a throat issue. We should never strike our child in anger. But corporal punishment, spanking your children, is biblical. Period. 
Uh, I don't think you should spank older kids. I don't think that we should, um, again, raise our voices at them. Um, but, you know, training children, and that's what discipline is. It's, it's training. In training children, they need to understand as best they're able that there is an action and a consequence. And the only way you can do that with a smaller child is by spanking them. Now, I personally, and this is just me, I don't, I don't think you should ever spank a child with your bare hand. Uh, my mom always used a wooden spoon. My dad always used a belt. Um, believe me, my mom weighed 98 pounds. She's the one I wanted to do the spanking, even though she would get really, really angry. But, but this idea that spanking our children is uh, cruel or is abuse uh, is just uh, another sign that the world thinks that they know better than God knows. And nobody, nobody is going to be hurt by spanking. Um, I got spanked a lot because I deserved it. But at the same time, um, I don't have any trauma from it. Um, and again, I want to emphasize, never should we spank a child in anger. Never should we raise our voice in anger to a child. We've got to demonstrate that we can control um, uh, our, our, our flesh um, to set an example for the children. So, Henry, I think it's time to open the Bible. Read the book of Proverbs. It is the greatest child-raising book in the world. And yet we have people, that, even Christians, who presume to know better than God does. And they've got all kinds of parenting books that talk about how spanking a child is abuse. Uh, and it's simply not true. So um, I don't know who's on which side. But again, in the power of the Spirit, praying for your child, explaining why they're getting a spanking. Uh, teaching them how to reason and to think logically about their behavior before they do something. Um, a spanking is something that is very, very important in training your child that way. So, Henry, that's my position. My position is not my opinion. My position is based on what the Bible says. Let's go to Ender on line one from San Antonio. Ender, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Thank you, Pastor Ron. Um, I have a question uh, concerning the issue of the universal salvation. Um, so we, my wife and I found out recently that a pastor of a former church that we used to attend uh, in another state, Pennsylvania specifically, now believes in the concept of universal salvation. Mm -hmm. and he provides um, a solid argument for it uh, as he thinks that it's an error in translation of the Bible from the Greek and the Hebrew to, to the English. I was wondering what your take on that would, would be. I'm highly interested in knowing your opinion on the subject. Thank you, Andrew. I can do that. Let me, let me say that there is no solid argument for universalism. There simply is no solid argument. Uh, in order to uh, to come up with the idea of universal reconciliation, um, you've got to do all kinds of twisting and turning of words uh, and, and changing the obvious meaning to uh, a meaning that is esoteric. So so there there is under no solid argument at all. The Bible is very clear. Jesus himself talks about uh, eternal punishment uh, as as lasting forever, where, where the worm doesn't die. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
and, and it will be it'll be everlasting it'll be forever and ever so i think it's really important having said that i want you to understand that um it's heresy um i personally think that it borders on being an essential issue of our salvation if jesus lied to us if the apostle paul lied to us if peter lied to us um then i think um we've got issues nothing nothing is true we can't take our bible i i get a little bit irritated not with you ender but with people who say well you know it was just a a faulty translation of the original greek or the original hebrew it's not for new testament we've had for 2000 years we've had a consistent understanding of what the words mean and what happened is people emotionally changed the meaning of those words because the idea of judgment makes them sad it's okay universal uh, salvation is an issue that's key to the lord Isaiah 28 i think it's verse 21 says that that judgment is a work that's strange to God. It's foreign to his nature. It's, it's not something he wants to do. And in fact, he so didn't want to judge the world that he made it really difficult. We've got to literally walk over Jesus' dead and risen body to go to hell. But but it's it's a reality. It's not a concept. It's not literature. You know, they'll take verses like God will reconcile all things to himself. Well, all things means everybody. No, God's going to reconcile all people. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. But that confession, did we believe in Jesus Christ or did we reject Jesus Christ, is going to determine. My final thought here, Inder, and I think this is essential is people will say, now this is an emotional, it's, it's, it's a very immature response, but, but it's emotional and it's real, and they will say, but, but I just don't want to think of God as judging people, and my God is a God of love who would never make anybody suffer forever and ever and ever. Well, by definition, hell is being separated from God. We have to make the choice here. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed on men once to die and then face the judgment. If it's a judgment, it's got to be a judgment for salvation or uh, eternal condemnation. And when they say, well, well, wouldn't it be great if we were wrong and we found everybody was in heaven when we got there? It wouldn't be great at all because it would demonstrate that, that if there is a God, it's not our God. I mean, literally, if Jesus lied to us about judgment, then we have no God. But But even more importantly, if heaven is a place where only the righteous will be, and there'll be no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more evil, no more rebelling against God. Well, if that's not true, if everybody gets to heaven, then how is that going to be true about our experience in heaven? Our God would then not be just. He would not be holy. His justice and his holiness demands, absolutely demands, that there is eternal punishment. We get to make the choice, but it demands eternal judgment. So, Ender, I hope that makes sense to you. But again, I want to say, people can twist words, and they, they can be eloquent, and they can be persuasive. But there is no sound biblical argument at all for universalism. It would not be good for us if everybody made it to heaven. 
Let's go to Kenny on line one, Kenny, or line two. Kenny, thank you for holding your on the air. Thank you so much, Pastor Ron. I just uh, hope you're having a great day today. I am, Kenny. Thank um, you. I wanted to ask you a question on Philippians two seventeen, where it says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And I was just going to um, ask you about uh, the uh, drink offering, and and I'll hang up and listen to your answer, what uh, Paul was talking about. Yeah, thank you, Kenny. You know, he's he's talking um, about um, uh, you know. Per, let me let me rephrase. In in our our school, um, we have a chapel every day, and this week the theme is perseverance, and. Um, um, Paula taught the little kids yesterday. I taught the older kids yesterday. And and, and, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it begins with Paul saying, uh, therefore we do not lose heart. And and I said to the kids that that persevering is a matter of our heart for the Lord. Well, what Paul is saying, he's he's describing uh, his own walk with the Lord. And he says in verse 16, um, um, he's watching them so that he may boast on the day of Christ that he did not labor for nothing. In other words, that his ministry to the Philippians would be fruitful and would prove to bear abundant fruit in the end. And then he says this, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And I want you to think about the picture of a drink offering. The, the altar is hot, and you pour water on that, that, that hot altar, and all of a sudden, all you've got is steam. You know, the, the, the noise it makes, the noise it makes, and then the steam that's going up. And so what Paul is saying, look, even if my life comes to that, at the end of my life and there's nothing left, uh, I want my service, the sacrifices I've made, to be proven by your fruit, um, that's all I care about. And so that's what he's saying. So what he's saying is, is, is even if he's... Now, one of the things we've got to learn about Philippians is, remember, he's writing this from jail, from prison. And, and there were people that were trying to use prison against him, but he's saying, look, even if I'm in prison, even if there's going to be nothing left, if this is the end of the rope for me, your fruit is going to be such a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord that I can rejoice even in these circumstances with all of you. That's what makes Philippians such a wonderful book. He wrote it from prison. Um, we know that to start out, you go to the, the book of Acts. He started out uh, in Philippi. Uh, the, the, the Philippian jailer, uh, he, he and Silas were in stocks and they were singing hymns to the Lord. And that's when the earthquake came and the jailer got saved. We know that story. But Paul says, look, it doesn't matter what I'm going through. Every sacrifice, everything I suffer on your behalf is for God's glory. And so if there's nothing left of me when I'm done, I still will rejoice with you. So that's what he was talking about. Thank you very, very much for the question. Let's go to Jimmy on line three. Jimmy, thank you for holding your on the air. Jimmy, are you there? 
Oh, I got you now, Jimmy. Okay. Hey, sir, um, I'm going to ask you for a prayer request. Okay. Um, my son, Christian, is going through some trials and tribulations in his job. And um, so I already prayed for him. Um, I know that God's going to give him strength. I know that he's uh, the one I told you about that. Uh, yep. he, you know, so, and uh, he talked to me, to me about it earlier, and I said, just trust in God. Let him, you know, let him, let him do what you need to do and just do what they ask you to do. But, um, though, uh, just trust in him and, and I explain my situation with, with my job and what I have to go through. And I just trust in the Lord and I just prayed for them. I just prayed for people and, and I know that God, when in his time, will deal with them and put, uh, coals over their heads. And, okay, uh, Jimmy. We, we will be praying. Keep us informed, okay? All right. Okay. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to San Antonio on line four. Scott is holding. Scott, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. How you doing today? I'm doing really well, Scott. Thank you. Well, my, my comment would have worked a little better further back a few calls, but uh, <laughs> I just wanted to quote uh, what I heard, uh, I guess, uh, what uh, Pastor Chuck had said one time. It was talking about a discipline of a child, but it was also talking about um, taking Scripture out of context. Mm-hmm. And he told a story about one of his children that was getting ready to have a spanking. And the child, of course, takes it out of context and says, that, Hey, Daddy, the, the Scripture says, uh, um, spare the rod and spoil the child. <laughs> I just wanted to make that comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And his, his son was waiting for him to start the spoiling the child part. and. That's what happened. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for that, Scott. You, you know, um, let me let me say something. The, the 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 greatest line I ever heard was from the the principal of our school, Pastor Barry, um, when we started the school. Now it's it's great because we we spank here at the at the at the school. Um, we spank with the parents' understanding. We first call the parent. We want the parent to do the spanking. It's not always possible. So we have a, a woman on staff who spanks the girls, and the younger girls, and, a, and a, a man who spanks, it's usually the principal, who spanks the boys. Um, and, you know, we, we had a bunch of spankings uh, when we got started. But now the kids all know that. So now we hardly ever have to spank anybody at all, because they learn their lessons. Point is made. But but our, our principal, um, one day, uh, he caught a kid who uh, had been getting spanked a lot. I mean, he'd been getting spanked a lot. And so he called him into the office, and the little boy said, I know I'm going to get a spanking again uh, today. And he said, this is like the eighth spanking I've had this week. And uh, Pastor Barry looked at the kid and he said, you know what, today I think I'm going to teach you another lesson. And he said, well, what? He says, I'm going to teach you about grace. Do you deserve a spanking? And the little boy nodded his head. Um, and he said, yes, you're right. You do deserve the spanking. But sometimes God gives us grace, which is not getting what we deserve. And the idea is to help you understand that God loves you and it's always best to obey. And so the little boy didn't get a spanking. Well, predictably, a couple of days later, he's in the office again for a spanking. And he says, I'm here for grace. <laughs> and Barry laughed so much. We still spanked him, but it was hard because that was funny. So I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much.
340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let's go to our next question. It is from JC. Um, He says, my grown daughter was living with us, but no longer is because she wouldn't obey our rules about having her boyfriend in her bedroom. Now she lives with him. Was I wrong to forbid them to be together? No. You set an example of righteousness for Jesus Christ. She's an adult. And one of the things, JC, that I always say is that we have to teach, we have to let them learn that there are consequences. When, when, when they start making adult decisions and having sex certainly is an adult decision, then there has to be adult consequences. And you thinking now, I know this is what people will say and what the enemy will say. Well, see what happens. You ran her right to her boyfriend. No, she was in sin already. And and this isn't on you. You rightly represent the Lord. And she now knows that your faith in Christ matters more to her than she does. Now, she knows you love her. I'm sure that's true. But the um, outworking of it is she's got to deal with consequences. And what she's going to find is that this boyfriend that she's living with um, really doesn't love her. She's going to find out that her problems don't go away. In fact... They're now going to be compounded by the, the, the added trials of having to pay rent and utilities and all the other things. You know, being an adult is not all it's cracked up to be. It's amazing. Our children, you know, they want to be treated like adults. And then when they actually turn 18 or they, they graduate from high school, um, they want to be treated like kids. No, we don't want to move out. No, we, we want to pay, stay here because there's no rent. And, and you know what? I'm not against... Grown kids staying with their parents. That's a family-by-family decision to make. But um, they got to be willing to accept the consequences of their choices. And when we have grown kids, again, I don't care how old they are, if they're living under your roof, if you're providing for them and you're feeding them, they've got to obey your rules. And because our homes, like everything else we have, belong to Jesus, um, they have to accept the consequences that simple they got to go to church you can't drag me to church you're trying to force it well as long as you're in this house that's the rules people live here go to church you can't make them be a christian but you can make them live a life that's acceptable under your terms so don't do guilt jc you did exactly the right thing and in fact um she'll know that there is a safe place to return to, a consistent place to return to when everything falls apart. So love her. Uh, keep um, praying for her, of course. But at the same time, we want to be sure. We want to be sure that she understands that there are consequences to the decisions that we make, especially those decisions to sin. To sin. Here's an anonymous question. This will be the last question that we have during for the day. Uh, it says, why is having trans surgery wrong? Um, male and female, he created them. Uh, trans surgery, uh, the mutilation of our bodies, is wrong because God says it's wrong. I mean, God says even dressing for a man to dress like a woman or a woman to dress like a man is wrong. It, it, it's simply taking the order that God has established. Um, we're created in God's image and, and this is an attack of the enemy on the, that very creation of God. We're the greatest thing God ever created. And when we say, well, look, you made me a boy, but I, I want to identify as a girl, 
and I'm going to have trans surgery. When we say that, what we're saying is, God, uh, you're cruel. You made me wrong. And so I want to do it this way. It is the ultimate rebellion against God. It's the ultimate rebellion against God. In Anonymous, it is crazy, crazy prevalent these days because your children are being brainwashed by this world that we live in, by social media. The pressure, you talk about bullying, the pressure and the bullying that takes place on social media to, for, for, for kids to trans-identify and, and then to go ahead and do surgeries or take hormones is overwhelming. You know, one of the things, Multimedical, it's our free doctor's office we have here at Calvary Chapel. And we have a lot of trans people coming in, lots and lots of them coming to, uh, to the, 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 the doctor's office. And we tell them what they're doing is wrong. We tell them about Jesus. And nobody, I mean, they complain a little bit, but, but they keep coming because it's free. And we see women, young women, especially young women, taking hormones and growing beards and, and doing things. Others who are mutilating, having the breasts removed um, because they've been convinced that their problems are all going to be solved if they just identify as a male. It is barbaric. It is inexcusable. It contradicts common sense. Uh, everything that we know to be true um, has now been turned upside down, and we're losing a generation. One of the amazing things about um, uh, the trans community is that uh, as soon as we accepted it in the world, it began to exponentially increase. And suddenly, this is happening. It's like we went, uh, just just since Jesus, we've gone 2,000 years without this thing and suddenly now it's everything that we ever learned before is wrong and this is the right thing to do. And, and what's, what's happening is our children are being enslaved. So having trans surgery is wrong. And I'm going to go one step further in our last 30 seconds here. No parent should ever cooperate or ever permit a child under their roof to be on hormones or to have trans surgery. If they leave the home as an adult and make those decisions, then there's nothing you can do about it. But let me say this. If you allow your children to transition medically or physically, um, you will bear the responsibility for the pain that they will endure for the rest of their lives. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. Lots of business phone calls. You've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Hey.